I'm former Congressman Gary Franks. And I'm his son, Gary. I'm millennial. We're discussing everything from politics to sports and pop culture. From very different perspectives. We speak frankly. Welcome back. How are you, Gary Jr.? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Doing great. Doing great. In fact, you know, Gary, I just had a chance to see the Yankees over the weekend. They won two out of three against those Red Sox, who I can't stand. And they should have won three out of three because one game, Gary, they had the bases loaded, not once, but twice. Game went into overtime. And I say bases loaded twice. With nobody out, and they still couldn't score just one run, and they would have won the game. But putting that to one side, which was very painful, uh, the next two games, the Yankees scored 14 and 13 runs in two games. 14 runs in the, in, on the Saturday night, Saturday game, and and 13 in the in the Sunday afternoon game. So I have to start with that, but before I get into into depth about those 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 Yankees, those damn Yankees, as the Red Sox fans would probably say, uh, how you doing? What, what do you uh, What do you want to talk about today? Because I'm gonna, bro, you know, I'm gonna follow your lead to, to today. Well, real quick, uh, we can mention about the Yankees real quick. The Red Sox are not saying these damn Yankees; they're saying thank you Yankees because ever since 2004. They've been kicking our butts. Oh, yeah. So, um, <laughs> so you know, they're like, whatever. That just means that during the trade deadline, we'll uh, I'll get better players. <laughs> no, real quick, I think it's very interesting. Just stick on the baseball note just for a second. Is that uh, is that Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole will not be pitching in the All Star game? Yeah, which yeah. is very unfortunate. And I think this is why baseball should go back to the All Star game meaning something. Basically. Whoever wins gets home, um, gets home field advantage in the World Series. And I know the media was all upset about that, but now there's no point in watching the baseball All Star game because it's just like the other All Star games, aka it means nothing. So you know, yeah, this I is, agree with you. This is I why guys sit out. Yeah, I agree with you. They're they're taking uh, they're taking the the whole reason why they play, which is to win and have meaning behind the victory. And and it's and it's just like uh, you know I, I get upset with the home run derby you know the the best players are not in the home run just like the slam dunk contest you, you know the best players aren't in it and you got players who well at least in baseball and home run derby you do know most of the guys who are in it and you do have one guy who really wants to win three in a row the guy from the Mets Alfonso but so that that adds a little drama to it. And Stanton was going to participate and pulled out the last moment, but Stanton's getting up there, and they, I can I can understand that to a certain degree. But you know, I'm very upset with the NBA how they don't really put pressure on the best players to participate in the slam dunk contest. So that's the game before the game, so to speak. And 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 you know, Gary, having home field advantage in baseball is huge. And and everybody knows it. It's it, it's like night and day to be able to have that home crowd in the seventh game of the World Series. Now teams have blown it. Obviously, you know, you're not gonna it's not automatic. But it's it's a major advantage because baseball, you know, you go two, you go three, and then you go two. And so that that's a that that right there favors 
the team, the home team. Because you, you, you do the first two games at your field, and then all you have to do is win one or two at the other guy's field, and you wrap it up in the, in the final two. I mean, it's it, it was a great incentive, and for them to get rid of that, Gary, I, I think was a, was a mistake. And you're right. We're not going to see the top two pitchers in baseball, in America, at least in the American League. You know, Van Landers, even though he's been hurt, he's 12-2. and two. And then you have uh, Cole, who, who he's – He's nine and two, but he should be even more. Uh, and he has, you know, probably 150 strikeouts here at the midpoint of the of the year. Even though this is around the 90 game mark versus the 106 of the 162 games that they play, but the guy's going to have well over 200, 250 strikeouts, maybe more. Not going to be in the game. Not going to be an All Star game. Earn run average under three. Not gonna be an all-star game. Verlander, not gonna be an all-star. So I do I do think that's uh, that's very, very unfortunate. And then no one else is unfortunate again. And we know why he's not playing. We know why he's not playing. El Tuve doesn't feel up to playing in Los Angeles. I wonder why. I wonder why he doesn't want to go to Los Angeles to play in the all-star game. Hmm. <laughs> it seems like he thinks he's gonna get beamed. So he's not playing. He just said, yeah, and he's not playing, which I think is also kind of petty. Uh, The guy, yeah, he cheated. We all know he cheated from 2017 to 2019 in in the playoffs. But uh, the fans do deserve to see his butt on the field playing. He should be fine if he's faking an injury, if he's doing this because of a desire to have rest. I agree, Gary. These guys are they're not going in there with the, with the with the right right mindset. It's it's unfortunate for the fans, and hopefully the commissioner is hearing this and will make. I know he isn't, but will make some changes or at least force these guys who are making a zillion dollars a year, by the way, just like in basketball, um, to to do what they're supposed to do: provide a service for the fans who pay their salaries either directly and showing putting their butts in the stands. Or by looking at ESPN, MLB, baseball, on TV with all those damn commercials after every half inning. So, bottom line of it is, Gary, these players are damn spoiled. And I've said this about the basketball players. I want to play with you. I want to go play with Tessa. No. That's why I want to talk about real basketball players after, Gary. People like Oscar Robinson and Jerry West. They didn't go through that BS. Yeah, so, but let, me, let me calm down. And let's do with our Yankees first because they have uh, 64 victories. They're, they're on a record pace. I mean, it's just exciting. Only about 28 losses. They're, they're so exciting to, to see play. You got another chase going on. You have Aaron Judge who, now granted, Roger Maris had 33 home runs after about 82, 83 games. That's when the All-Star break was back in the day. Um now Judge has it and a few more, more I think he played a few more games than that. 33 home runs. He had two on Saturday. Um, one, I think he did it with one arm. Uh, uh, he is just uh, having a phenomenal year, batting about 284, uh, getting set, has 70 RBIs and a ton of walks. I mean, the guy is, is just playing great, great MVP caliber, best in baseball caliber play. Top vote getter in the All Star game, and there's no, I don't think anyone would doubt that he is the person that people would really like to see play. Excuse me, Mike Trout, and I think that's the case because he's he is he has shown that he he could lead the team. He, he they made him captain of the team, Gary, which is a big honor. Madden Lee, 
Thurman Munson, and of course the the captain that we all you you remember most that being uh, Derek Jeter. They've given him that honor. Now he's playing center field. Another big distinction for a Yankee player. You know he's 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 doing it all, but he's not even the hottest player on the Yankee team. (laughs) You know they got a guy by the name of Matt Carpenter who was thrown away by the Cardinals after having some years in which he was running for MVP in the National League. He is so hot. He is he's like on fire, Gary. The, The guy knocked in seven runs. In one game on Saturday, seven runs. He had two three-run home runs and that knocked another run. Um, he has 13 home runs, but you say, oh, that's not that. In 31 games, that is a <laughs> that is a torrid pace. 34 runs batted in in 31 games. That's like if you if you can if you if you play the whole year, that's like having 170 RBIs for a season. Now, granted, he's he's playing potentially over his head. His batting average is 354 at this point. Playing a good solid outfield when they have him out there. You know, he's a guy who's trying to prove something. You know, he was he was out there, didn't have a team for a long time in the minor leagues, free agent. And he's trying to prove prove something. He made some adjustments in his game and he is doing extremely well. And I, it's just, it's exciting baseball to see him play. Another player who's having a good year this year after a bad year last year is is, is Glaber Torres, he's he's batting about two, 268 with 14 home runs from the second base position, which is outstanding. Uh, should be good enough to replace Altuve, but he won't because they're putting a guy from Toronto in there because the Toronto guy, the whole country votes for these guys versus you know, the other players, did have the second most votes to Altuve and thus will be playing in, as Altuve's backup. And then you can't forget about uh, you know, Giancarlo G- Stanton, who's, who's having a fantastic year as well. 24 home runs, um, 61 RBIs. Rizzo's doing what he did with the Cubs. Not not hitting for an average, but 22 home runs, 57 RBIs, doing well. Um, DJ is coming back really strong. He's about 270, almost 280 right now. And then you got you got Jose Tavino, Gary, who's an all-star catcher. I don't, you know, obviously must not have been too many good catchers in the American League because he's not all that good. He's playing over his head, I believe, as well. Um, cost him the game on, on Friday night when he blocked the ball but did not hustle after the ball to be able to stop Bogarts from scoring from third base. Uh, so overall, though, Gary, I'm not even going to talk about the pitchers. I'll, I'll take a deep breath and let's see if you want to make any comments about the hitters. And then um, we can move on. Well, the only thing I want is what most baseball fans would say to Yankee fans. Not every Yankee player can make the All-Star game. We can't have a full team full of Yankee players. So I get it. The Yankees, you know, you know they're, they're the best team in the American League, and they're one of the hottest teams in baseball. But Glaber Torres should not be an All-Star over those two other guys. And And – I'm actually happy that that's not the case, because we can't have ten. We can't have a, a team full of Yankees as the All Star team. Oh. You can't do that. I'm sorry, right? Oh, wow. So, so because of that, you know, I'm okay with certain, you know, with certain things being the way they are. Um, Matt Carpenter, I'm happy he's playing very well, but I also know that he's played his whole career basically in the National League. So a lot of these pitchers are not accustomed to going against him yet. So he has the advantage over a lot of those guys. And, uh, you know, that's definitely helping him out. But, you know, we, 
I'm not going to really, you know, go too crazy on the Yankee team until September comes around. But right now, you know, you got to give them a lot of props. Um, all the players, except for Joey Gallo, give them all props for playing really well and play and playing really great baseball. A lot of the guys are playing kind of over their heads. A lot, um, some of the guys are actually playing at their level. And even Aaron Judge, I think he's playing a little bit over his head because he's playing for a contract. But good point. You know, that that definitely helps the you know the Yankees and Yankee fans that that he's playing over his head this year. Cause maybe they can finally win the whole thing and save Cashman's job. <laughs> Yeah, good point, Gary. But even, you know, it rains every once in a while everywhere, even in Las Vegas, because Joey Gallo actually hit a home run on Sunday. <laughs> the score was like 11 and 11 to 2, and he made it 13 to 2 because the runner was on back. So, uh, but he's having a miserable year, and I think he's going to be packing soon. I, I don't know why he's still on the team. I, I, I've never seen anyone get as many chances as because you can't guy. Because you can't trade him. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's the that's what I'm saying. And you can't and you can't have a twenty-seven million dollar guy in the minors. So maybe that's, that's the answer, guy. You, you yeah. can't have some someone who uh, his caliber in the minors. That's that's a good point. And no one will take this guy. Yeah, but all seriousness, he also has a very great arm in the outfield. He may have one. He, does. he may. He may. He you does. know, him and Judge's arm is very close. So that's probably the reason that they're playing him is, is that he does give them um, a great outfielder and the other. Our Yankee options are as good as he is in the outfield. He does. He does. Have, he does have a great arm. Great defensive uh, player. Now, Gary, just talk about their pitchers just briefly. Jason Talion, Talion won ten games, lost two. Not in the All Star game. I, I don't know why they did that. I know he went through a period of time where he wasn't pitching as well as he was at the beginning of the season, and maybe that caused people not to want to put him on the. All-star team, but since he was denied that opportunity, he came to come back and won two games in a row, got his earned run average below four. Then instead, they put Nestor Cortez on the All-star team. He's seven, seven wins and three losses, but his earned run average is only 2.63, which is very good. Uh, and of course, as I mentioned before, Garrett Cole's earned run average is almost un, you know, 3.02, but you know, with a ton of strikeouts, 147 strikeouts. And, the, you know, that's a hell of a lot of strikeouts for just midpoint in the year. Uh, Saverino, he's hurt, injured a lot, and unfortunately, he's on the disabled list right now. Five and three, he's pitching well, though. And the bullpen was doing extremely well. They're looking a little more vulnerable now. And and also, uh, Chapman's trying to work out his kinks. He's 0-3 now with a 4.74 earn run average. So he's he's shaky, but hopefully that will that will, he will turn that around. And be more like the Chapman that we've we've grown to know over the, over the last ten years or more. But the Yankees are having a great year. Can they can 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 they continue it? God willing, they will. Bottom line, that you've heard all all the statements, Gary, a team that, that that's gotten off to a start like this is automatically is in the World World Series. Uh, no, it doesn't happen. Sometimes you can get off to a phenomenal start. And still not not make the uh, World Series. It's likely to make the playoffs because even the Yankees at this point, if they go 500 for the balance of the year, they'll still have almost 100 victories. So it's kind of hard not to make the playoffs. But the Yankees don't play for to make the playoffs. They play to win the World Series, which they haven't done since 2009. So success will be determined only by that measurement. 
Now they got some players that are looking at trying to bring in whether or not they bring in another another arm. Don't know. They're going to bring Jermaine back. Who I think it was Domenico Jermaine was one of the top pitchers a few years back. He's like 16 and three or something like that. Hopefully he'll he's going to fill in for Severino. Hopefully he can come in and really have instant success. He's been unhittable in the minor league, but then again, obviously he's a major league pitcher. But he was pitching in the minor leagues as his part of his rehab. Um, so hopefully he will come in and, and really hit the ground running. Um, and the relievers will be a little more sound. Clay Holmes was unhittable, but he was hittable recently, and his earned average was up to 1.31, which is still extremely good. But Michael King does seem to be the big star in the bullpen at this point. He's 6-2 and two with a 2.19 and run average. So those two guys have really been carrying the, the bulk of the load in the bullpen. Uh, also, you got a guy by the name of Clark Schmidt, who's, who's also very good. He's 4-2. and two. So we'll see how the Yankees, uh, what, what moves the Yankees would make during the, I guess they have until August the 2nd before the trade deadline is, is up. And obviously we'll watch the other teams. There, there's some really good baseball teams out there, Gary, but not, you know, Houston's extremely good. Their, their record, they're only three games, four games um, off the pace of the Yankees. So the Yankees are going to have to still try to work hard to make sure they get the home field advantage in the, uh, in the in the AL playoffs, so it's not like that's a slam dunk. Yeah, the 13, 14 games up in the uh, in the uh, NL in the American League, you know, East. But still, you got to play for home field advantage in, in the AL because that's very important when you're looking at a team like like Houston, or if you, even if you're looking at the Toronto Blue Jays. And those Orioles are actually playing good baseball. Who knows? They could potentially can make, we not make no. it. Well, okay, let's leave them out. Okay, I hear what you're saying. They're hot right now, just like Seattle is. They're hoping that both teams will wish that they can continue playing baseball instead of having this break. But it's been a good first half. Let's see what happens in the second half. Well, and just, let's see what happens in the All-Star game. Maybe it will be enjoyable. I don't know. We'll see. Well, I'm just going to say this. I have a better shot of winning the lottery than the Orioles have of making the playoff. <laughs> but um, so let's not get you know, too uh, crazy here. <laughs> So, Dad, I want to change the topic just a little bit um, because I feel like we don't show enough love to LeBron James. And and I get it. You know, I understand uh, why, uh, you know, our listeners may feel this way because we usually talk about LeBron and compare him to other great players that we don't think that he's better than. But we both agree that LeBron James is a top ten in some cases, maybe even a top five player um, in the history of basketball. But the key question to ask is, what era was the best era for LeBron James? What team, when he was on, when he started with the Cavs from 03 to 2010, was it the Heat from 2011 to 2014? Was it the Cavs from 2015 uh, to uh, uh, 2018? Or was it the or is it, you know, the Lakers stint that he's uh, I'm playing playing for right now? Uh, but I just let the listeners know it is not the, his Laker run. That is his. That is run. right. It's not uh, actual, yeah, yes, yeah. Um, that's actually debatable between his worst run <laughs> when he's with the Cavs early on. Years with the Cavs, he didn't make the playoffs, but he was 18, 19 years old. But uh, for me, his best era was the Miami Heat era. Hmm. It's going to go down as an era where you look back and you're just going to be like, man, you know, 
I really missed that time of basketball. Because during that time period, it was uh, it was right before the Steph Curry era where um, teams were just shooting a bunch of threes. So teams actually used big men. Uh, Dirk Nowitzki was still a, a top five player. Kobe Bryant just won his last championship um, in 2010, the year LeBron James joined the Miami Heat. So the NBA was kind of in a change period, but it was clear that LeBron James was the best player in the world going to 2011. And and yes, he had some major failures. In 2011, we all know that he had the biggest, uh, you know, a meltdown. And I'm not going to go into it because all you got to do is, is click on Skip Bales' show and he'll mention it in five <laughs> seconds. But what I will say is, is throughout that season, LeBron James was spectacular. Mm-hmm. The athleticism with that was at the absolute apex. He played 62 games that year. I'm, so, I'm sorry, he played 79 games that year, and he averaged about 39 minutes a game. Mm. And that season, he averaged 20, um, 27 points a game, seven rebounds, 7.5 rebounds, and seven assists that season, and over 51% from the floor. And he really didn't uh, know how to play with his teammates yet, with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. Yet, and Eric Spolstra was a new coach. You know, he's been, you know, he's been the coach for a few years, but he's never coached multiple stars before. And Dwayne Wade was already there from the beginning. So that wasn't really a hard push or sell for, uh, you know, for Dwayne Wade to listen to Eric Spolstra. But for LeBron James and Chris Bosh, that is a whole new uh, scenario for them. And he was able to play, probably play his best game he's ever played against the Boston Celtics getting over that hump and basically destroying that big three um, in that classic game six game. But in 2012, which I think, uh, I believe the 2011-2012 season is probably his best season. That season and the 2012-2013 season, and the thing that you'll notice in those two seasons is that he shot the, the three ball extremely well. Before then, LeBron's three-point percentage was under 35%. But in those two years, in 2011-2012, his three-point percentage was 36%. And in 2012-2013, it was a career high, and I don't think he'll ever get to this point ever again in his career. It was 40.5%. Yes, I said it. LeBron James shot 40% from three. And in 2012-2013, he shot 56.5% from the floor and played 38 minutes a game. Mm. And during that 2012-2013 season, they um, had the second longest winning streak in NBA history with 27 straight games won. That Mm. was by far his best season, and that was the season that a lot of people feel like he should have won Defensive Player of the Year over Marc Gasol Mm -hmm. if you would have given it to him at any any point. Uh, During that season, uh, he averaged 26.8 points a game, about eight assists and eight rebounds a game, and shot 75% from the free throw line in 2012-2013. So it's just um, it's just amazing what he was able to do during that time period, and he went back-to-back. He won both championships. He beat a young OKC Thunder team, which when we look back at it, we realize that uh, those players probably have the same flaws that they had then that they have now. Where James Harden doesn't show up in big games, uh, Kevin Durant plays big, I'm um, in big games, and Russell Westbrook is Russell Westbrook. You don't know what you're gonna get. <laughs> and and the Miami Heat, 
at that time, they just came off an epic loss of the Dallas Mavericks. And, it, you know, they went in there and they won uh, that series. And then 2012-2013, they beat the San Antonio Spurs. Yeah. So it, that's the only time in LeBron's career that he's gone back-to-back championships. And it was because of the fact that I think he was at his absolute apex when it came to his athleticism, when it came to his shooting, when it came to his um, his IQ of the game. The game was, you know, it, it matched his athletic ability at the time. And the players around him, along with the Pat Riley system, worked out. And his last year in Miami, he played 77 games and played 38 minutes a game and shot 57% from the floor and shot 38% from three. And average 27 uh, seven and six. Yeah, we know what happened at the end of that season in 2013-2014 season where the uh, on the Miami Heat lost in, uh, you know, by a record-setting margin to the San Antonio Spurs, but that was because the Spurs were so pissed off that they lost in 2012-2013. So we understand yeah. why that happened. Yeah. But that run of, of getting to the finals was clearly the best era of LeBron because all, all, those, all those seasons – Besides 2011-2012, he played basically the whole season. And that's that's something that we don't see from LeBron James, um, you know, now in his current stint. Um, for people who want to debate um, his Cleveland Cavalier uh, run, which was incredible, obviously coming back from a 3-1 deficit and winning the championship, the Eastern Conference was a lot weaker when he was in Cleveland the second time. When he was in Miami, the Indiana Pacers with Paul George and Roy Hibbert and David West. Yes, I said Roy Hibbert. Um, you know, at that time he was an all-star. Uh, but that Indiana Pacer team was better than any team LeBron James played uh, in his second stint with the Cleveland Cavaliers. The Boston Celtics, obviously, you know, you know that was a big thorn in LeBron's side, and that you know you, you can make a strong case that was part of the reason why LeBron left Cleveland. In the first place, because he, he felt like he didn't have enough help to beat that Celtic team. But he was able to beat that Celtic team, and then he was able to beat the Brooklyn Nets when they had their quote-unquote super team, which I just thought was a super old team, with Darren Williams, Joe Johnson, Kevin Garnett, and Paul Pierce the second time around in, in 2012-2013 during that run. So those teams were better, and most importantly, he won more. You know, he 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 honestly could have three-peated. And if he would have done that, you know, who knows where LeBron James' legacy uh, would have been, uh, you know, for, you know, at least for us, you know, um, on our rankings. So I would say his best run is with the Miami Heat just because of his success. He won two MVPs during that time period. He was, he was an elite defender during that time period. And he was an all-around juggernaut of a player. And it wasn't even a debate that he was the best player in the NBA. You know, um, even though Derrick Rose won the MVP in 2011 because the Chicago won more games than the Miami Heat team won, uh, LeBron James did an incredible job on Derrick Rose in that series. And unfortunately, Derrick Rose was never the same because due to injuries. But that that was LeBron's only competition of who was the best player in the world. Kevin Durant was not at that point yet. Uh, Kobe Bryant was getting old at that point. So there was no one there. And that's why he was the. That's why I thought that era was his best. There was no, all the other guys were nowhere near him at that time. Excellent points, Gary, and that, and I, um, I I agree with many of the points you made. But I'm going to point out something else that 
that kind of ties into uh, your narrative. And that is, it was during those three years when, when he was with Miami. And, and I, I agree with you. I think that that was his, his best period of uh, basketball because LeBron, and you know this having been involved with AAU basketball, having played it for a number of years as well. LeBron is like a the, the ultimate AAU player. In fact, probably... If you had to say AAU basketball players who don't win but are outstanding players, so they never won the national title, uh, you'll, you'll see LeBron's picture there as well. And and that is, uh, you know, he tried to do too much. And he, he's 6'8, six, 6'9, six, bring the ball up the court, doing this, doing that. But what, what was different about Miami was he had a coach and he had a general manager, president of the team that forced LeBron to do things that he did not he hadn't done before he was disciplined he was not the general manager nor was he the coach of the team he was the basketball player who actually had two other players who everyone knew were going to be first ballot hall of famers as well in the case of Dwayne Wade one of the best of all time as well now well, can I say something was, real quick? Yes. Up to that, because yes, he was the general manager there, but what's be? No, I don't think he was. I don't. I don't I no, don't he wasn't. He was not. I agree with you. Oh, okay. But but he also was the general manager in his first stint in Cleveland. Either. No, I was going to talk about and that. that. No, no. And I'm... that's why you know that was the reason why he left because he felt like they didn't um, give him enough talent. And that's yeah. part of the reason why he left Miami the second time. Yeah. Is he felt like the Heat weren't giving him enough talent the yeah. second time around either? Yeah. No, I was going to mention that, Gary. I was going to say that the, the next period that, that I really was impressed with LeBron was when he started. Because then, too, he listened. He wanted to be the best possible basketball player. He was not thinking about being the general manager initially in his first three or four years with the Cleveland Cavs. He thought about it, but he didn't. He didn't do that. And look at what he, what he did. He led the league in scoring. He, he led the league in minutes played in 2005-2006. He got 31.4 points a game. Two years after, he averaged 30 points a game. The year before that, 27 points a game. His second year in the NBA, 27. I mean, he had a period of time with Cleveland that was really, really outstanding. Outstanding. But they couldn't get out of her, over the hurdle, and he did make the trip to Miami. I think he could have slugged his way through and had some championships. Yeah, he had one, obviously, 2015, 2016 with, with Cleveland. But they were, they were they were a team to be reckoned with. They were maybe a piece or two or a manager, a coach, whatever. They weren't that far away. And, and, and what I dislike about LeBron during the next period of time, which I agree was his best period, but that's because he had the share of the basketball. He was not the focus. He, he was the ultimate basketball player. He played his role even on the court. He did not step on Dwayne Wade's feet. He did not get in Chris Boss's way. He played what he he played the role that he was supposed to play, and he did it extremely well. And then you mentioned it already, shooting about forty one percent from threes. LeBron James, I I, mean, I can't even think of that now. 46 percent from three from the three point line. He was shooting on average fifty seven percent from the field 57 percent 
that, and they weren't all dunks, okay? That's that's a phenomenal shooting percentage. He had never done that before. He was at 41, 47 with Cleveland, first two or three years, 48. And then all of a sudden, he became Oscar Robertson from a shooting perspective. I'm going to talk about him one day. But anyhow, he was shooting 53, 50, 56, 57. He never reached those numbers again. Never reached those kind of numbers as a shooter again. Even from the free throw line, he had his best, some of his best years shooting from the free throw line during that time because he played basketball. What are you thinking about? Well, you know, I don't think this guy's going to be out We got to work against so well. I think we need someone who could be so. I think I do. No, you just played basketball and we loved it. It was great. It was great to see. It was great to see. And you did not try to pad your stats. You didn't say, oh, wait a minute, I've been six, I'm going to get another two rebounds. You didn't do that. And guess what? You had great stats overall. You were getting eight rebounds a game. You were, in fact, you averaged probably about eight rebounds. LeBron averaged about eight rebounds, seven point, seven point nine, eight point rebounds, seven. And he was still from his forward position, powerful, you know, small forward position, getting about seven assists a game. Now, why do I say that? Because the only one of the year that he did better, that's the year he, he made sure he was going to get 10 points, 10 assists a game. That was the year the Lakers won in 2019-2020. But other than that, the flow of the game and just being who he was allowed him to have stats that were absolutely fantastic. Playing with two other guys, as I said before, who were legitimate superstars on that team. So yes, it was his best era, Gary, during those those first four years. I I agree. I agree with you. And but but I, I also feel that when LeBron started to have more too much time on his hands and spending too much time trying to manage people's affairs and trying to get be the general manager. It's been not as much fun to see LeBron, my estimation. It really hasn't because, you know, he, he he does not focus on his game to the point where he gets the maximum amount of his talent as he as he is getting older. He did that during those Miami years. He got the maximum amount of his talent, and that is why you see a phenomenal shooting percentage from threes for, for, for LeBron, for anybody. That 41% is outstanding for anybody. But um, – Never shot less than seven seven fifty from the free throw line there. Yeah, you know, it was just a totally different person. Now, now with the Lakers, he can't even see. Okay, last year he did shoot seventy five percent from the free throw line, but he focused in on um, once again in his those fifty six games. He only he didn't play that many games. That's that's another thing. Obviously, the twenty twenty one year that was in the COVID year, but he, he just played thirty uh, fifty six games uh, last year, and he, you know. It, he, he he just went out of his way to, to once again you could the team didn't have it someone had to score the team really was bad <laughs> I just saw you can say it, but you don't make the they never they were just probably one of the worst teams you know obviously we could look at one of the earlier years of the of the Cavs that LeBron played on and you just don't uh, you don't perform in in that manner I mean even when and I know we don't want to talk about Michael but even in Michael's worst years he was you know the team did win more games. Than, than uh, when even when Michael was forty something, you know. So, <laughs> so without any doubt, Gary, I agree with you. I think that the year, the years at Miami, both, you know, it was it was four years. Tui, Tui won, 
two at all. He didn't didn't won two championships, but he almost did the coveted three peat, which would have, I think, more than likely put him in, in a different type of conversation. And for anybody to get ahead of themselves and say that other people that he's better than certain people, nah, nah, you, you gotta win. You know, I, you, you, you can't lose in the finals as many times as LeBron James has lost in the finals. And compare that against those individuals who did not lose that many times and still say LeBron's better than them. I'm well, sorry, I, you can't. Well, can I say something real quick? Because uh, I completely agree. And I want to keep it on a positive. Uh, oh, yeah, that's why we As much as positive. I can here. But let me just say, I'll say this real quick because I agree with you. And, you know, this is what the media tries to do. They try to do to protect LeBron is they say, oh, well, you know, I'd rather get to the finals you know, than lose. You know, you know I'm going to rather get to the finals and lose than lose in the first round. No, I'd rather lose in the first round than get to the finals and lose. Because here's a perfect example. Kevin Durant and Brooklyn Nets lost in the first round. The story really is the Brooklyn Nets weren't good enough to get out of the first round. They weren't a good team. When you get to the finals like the Boston Celtics did and lose, it means you were good enough to get to that point and you lost. When LeBron's teams get to the finals and lose, it shows that the team was good enough to get to that point, regardless if you think he carried the team or whatever happened. But when you lose in the finals, it shows that you guys were good enough or just as or close to as good enough as the other team and you didn't win. Yeah. And that's why it 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 it's more important to to lose, you know, or not more important, but it shows, hey, look, if you lose in the first or second round, hey, look, it just didn't, you know, it wasn't meant to be. If you lose in the finals, it also could not just be meant to be, but you can't get swept in the finals like he has as well. Yeah. But I'm not gonna again I want to really focus on <laughs> what he was able to, what he's been able to do, and this is how I want to leave it. I if he was, if he was able to three-peat, he would be a top three player to ever play the game. If he was able to win the Dallas Mavericks series, the OKC series, and the Spurs series, there would be no debate because there wouldn't be any flaws really on his resume. He would have been five and five in the NBA Finals, and that we can deal with. That's not, you know, that's not a losing record in the NBA Finals, and that could be a top three, top four player to ever play the game. So we're out of time for today. Don't forget to subscribe.